the rule. Like, just because you're supposed to, that's not good enough for me, right? Some of you feel that way. Just because that's what you're supposed to do, you need more than that, right? That's the way I am. I need more than just, I'm from Missouri, right? I mean, I kind of approach life like that. You've got to show me. Show me where it says that I've got to do that. Then I'll do it. You show me where it says I've got to do it, then I then might be okay with it. But otherwise, anyway. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not as much of a rule follower as maybe I need to be. Let me say it that way. Maybe I need to be a better rule follower. <clears throat> All that to say that I'm going to get to that stuff later on, okay? Back to where we are as a church. I don't know what the future holds. What I do know, what I do know, what I'm absolutely convinced of is something I told you two weeks ago. That God's Word, that the Bible is reliable, and the Bible is authoritative. What I do know without without a doubt in the world is what I told you last week. That God is our Creator, our Heavenly Father. That He acts out of love for us as children. That I am absolutely convinced of. Third thing I'm going to tell you today that I'm absolutely convinced of. I'm going to call us to remember God the Son. God the Son who came to earth, born of a virgin, came with a purpose. And that purpose, (laughs) the purpose in Jesus coming to earth is the person sitting next to you. Go ahead, look at him. (laughs) Like, like, makes you wonder. Like, God would come from... Yes, God came for them and God came for you. God came for our neighbors. That's his purpose. And his purpose hadn't ended. And his purpose is still being born every day. His purpose is still moving into Rock Hall every week. All the time. So, our statement of faith, and I looked this morning, it's not in our hymnal, which it should be. I don't know why it's not. I guess it used to be, but they took it out and say paper. Uh, but in our, in our statement of faith, right, uh, what we have, and I have it here on the screen. We believe in Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man, truly God, completely God, and yet completely man, in whom the divine and the human natures are perfectly and inseparably united. He's the eternal word made flesh, the only begotten Son of the Father, born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. As administering servant, he lived, suffered, and died on the cross. He was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven to be with the Father, from whence he shall return. He is the eternal Savior, mediator, who intercedes for us, and by him all men will be judged. That's who we believe Jesus is, the Son of God is. I don't know about you, but uh, I pray that it's true for you too. Oh my Lord, I pray, it's, I pray you can experience this, but but uh, after the vote yesterday, I felt much, well, in a way, I felt relieved that it's over, right? Because, uh, frankly, it had gotten too much room in my heart. I'd been giving it too much space in my head. I'd been letting it occupy too much of my thinking. And it was, frankly, good to know that you know, no matter what comes next, it's, my part of it is done. My part of it is done. It's time that I, and I believe we as a church, get back to the main thing and make it the main thing. Jesus. Jesus. The doctrine of Jesus is what I'm talking about today. The doctrine of Jesus. We're talking about His incarnation, His crucifixion, His resurrection, and His ascension. Who Jesus was, what He came to accomplish, 
what Jesus was all about. If I were to ask you to open your Bible and, and you try to find me a passage of Scripture that, that describes who Jesus was and what his purpose was, and, and I would just kind of let you freewheel it. You know, some of you would be like, oh, yeah, I know. It would be back somewhere in Ezekiel and, or somewhere, in, somewhere back here in the Old Testament. There'd be something, and I'd be like, God bless you. I never would have thought of that. Wow, that is amazing. And the rest of us normal folk, <laughs> I'm not saying if, you, if you're that deep in Scripture, I'm not calling you, I'm not saying anything else. I'm going to say that for the rest of us, we would probably go to somewhere a little more well-known. This passage, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 is important. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I think that's the passage that most of us, most folks, would go to that explains who He was and why He came. That's why we celebrate on Christmas Day. That's why. That's why we celebrate on Easter. That's why we gather every week to worship. That's why we meet in small groups during the week. That's why we serve meals on Wednesday nights. That's why some of us play games with kids during the week, while we tutor, while we visit nursing homes, while we invite our neighbors to come with us to church, while we coach, while we teach, while we lead. It's why we sing in the choir. It's why we do everything we do as a part of the church. Because Jesus came to save us and to give us a new life, a life that lasts with Him for eternity. That's why. But, but this verse has a lot more to do about our lives than just church. It has to do everything about how we treat our spouse, how we raise our kids, how we, how we deal with our customers, how we interact with the public, how we pay our taxes. This verse has a lot to do with that. Who Jesus is has a lot to do with it. Many people hear the Son of God, right, is the name of Jesus, and, and we think that he was created, that Jesus was created. But, but Scripture tells us again and again and again that, that actually Jesus always existed. The Son of God always existed. That God, His nature hasn't changed. He has always been three in one. Always. That God the Son was present always and forever. Jesus said it Himself in, in John chapter 17. I don't know if I have it in here. Yeah, 17 verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The glory I had with you before the world began. You see, Jesus was, Jesus was there before the world began. And he said, Jesus, God, let's do that again. That, that we did before, let's do that again now. Jesus was there at creation. Jesus had a significant role in creation, Scripture tells us. Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him, and the big part, and for him. And for him. All this exists for Jesus. We think it's for us. But it's actually for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That he is, the, he is the, the fabric that holds it all together. He's the thing that makes it work. 
this has led some to understand the Son of God's uh, role in the economy of God, like how God works, right? The economy of God in that sense. That Jesus, that the Son of God, is the, the, the physical presentation of God. Like Jesus is the action word, where God is a being, right? An adverb. Jesus would be the action verb, like the one that's doing, the one who's at work. The Son is the one at work. It makes sense when you stop to consider that, that God came to earth as the Son, right? That Jesus was sent. Sent himself. You may know this already, but let me just remind you that Jesus was sent into the world in order that people might have a a lifelong relationship with God. That was his whole reason. The goal for his being sent, according to John chapter 14, verse 6, was that, that people might come to the Father. Come to the Father. That he might be known, which in the context of the Gospel of John, that, that knowing God was about believing. Jesus is the point of people coming to know God. To having a relationship with Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody. That was Jesus' purpose. That was why the Son, that was the work of the Son, of God. The idea of a Savior. You see, for the Jewish people, the idea of a Savior it wasn't new to them. If you were to ask anybody in this world, like even if they don't know anything about Christianity, anything about religion, they would understand the need for a Savior, right? Because we get in jams, we get in messes, we get in problems and we need somebody to get us out, right? We understand the idea of a need for a Savior. Spiritually speaking, that's always been the case. Jesus took his disciples out in a, in a boat one time and he asked them, who are people saying that I am? Right? He asked them point blank, who, who do people say I am? And they said, wow, some people think you're, you're John the Baptist, come to life. And others think you're a prophet. And others, others think you're this, or others think you're that. And, and Jesus said, well, yeah, yeah, okay. But, but who do you all say that I am? And they said, you're the Messiah. You're the promised deliverer. That's what that word Messiah means. Is that Jesus came to deliver us. To deliver from sin, right? Jesus came to deliver us from sin. Jesus also came to deliver us into a relationship with God. To, to, to hand us over, as it were, into a relationship from this world into a one with God. He came, to, he came to set us free, for sure, but he came to give us into a new life, a new life with God. As we look through the Old Testament, if you were to just scroll through the Old Testament, you would find it continually, almost page after page almost, pretty much, pointing out the, a coming Messiah or the need for a coming Messiah. Or that there's a promise to be delivered on yet. Again and again, all throughout. I mean, it starts in Genesis with Adam and Noah. Noah, the first real Messiah type, people would say. Who, who's, who was the answer to God's promise, right? In the, in the ark. Then there's Joseph, who rescued the people from famine. Then there's Moses. Moses, one of the, the, the most important uh, archetypes of a Messiah in the Old Testament. Because Moses was unique in the way that, that he brought the law to the people. He brought a way, he brought a structure, a clear, uh, 
an obvious pattern to follow if you want to be in a covenant relationship with God. It wasn't easy. Because it required a small surgical procedure, right, that, that most boys have soon after their birth, circumcision. This, this operation became their identity in a real way. It became a rite of passage. It became the way, that it, was the, it was the sign of the covenant, circumcision. On top of this, Moses also gave them a, a list of requirements. 613, what are called mitzvot, if you say that word, because it's fun, mitzvot. 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 So it was 613 commands that God had given that this is, these are the ways that you live into relationship. Not, not just pick a few and do those, but all of them are the way that you live into relationship with God. Now, other theologians may count it a different number. Some say it's like 314, but 314, 613, really, it's a whole bunch, right? I mean, you pick, you pick right? It's a whole bunch of requirements to live into the relationship with God. So what, Pastor? So what? So what? I... You're not telling me anything? No. I know, I know the Old Testament is full of laws. I know that. I know all that. Let me help you connect that Jesus coming to be the way, the truth, and the life matters for us here in Rock Hall. Let me try to do that. <clears throat> if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is uh, a couple of years after the resurrection. It's... Um, the church is just, it's a baby church at this point in Acts chapter 15. The church hadn't been around long. It's, it's still growing. Uh, but it's time for a church meeting. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, so how many people here like to go to a church meeting? You see, it looks just like it does right now. So I don't have to ask. Because <laughs> nobody likes to go to, unless there's going to be an argument. <laughs> if there's going to be some fireworks, then okay, then I'll go, right? Because, hey, that's free. Oh, uh, you can see some action. <clears throat> that may have been why there were so many people here yesterday. I don't know. They were expecting something. I don't know. But fortunately, none of that happened. But, <clears throat> but nobody really enjoys a church meeting. But here we have the first one, right? The first one got called in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, you see, they've been out preaching. They've been out preaching to the Gentile world, right? <laughs> they've been out preaching to those people. Those people outside of the covenant. That's what a Gentile meant when you were born outside of the covenant of God, which I don't know if any of you, anybody here is Jewish, but for most of us, I'm betting we're not. That means that all of us are Gentiles. All of us are outside of the covenant with God. But fortunately, Paul and Barnabas are out there preaching to people like us. Thank the Lord. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So that's what he's doing. Paul and Barnabas, they're out there spreading. They've been telling people outside of the covenant that God loves them. That he has a plan for the. And guess what has happened? Well, as Paul's been preaching, the Spirit has shown up. I mean, people have been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. There have been miracles have been performed. They've been worshiping in powerful ways. I mean, I mean, everywhere that he's gone, God is in the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, God has shown up everywhere he's gone. But he's not showing up the way everybody expected him to show up. So this conference is called by the leaders of the church. Now, now we're not sure who exactly these folks are, but, but we're left to assume that these are the, the disciples. The disciples, the original 12, the 11, 
I guess that left, and, and any of them who were doing ministry there in Jerusalem at the time, they called this conference. Uh, because there was a disagreement between the way Paul and Barnabas were, were teaching and, and leading and, and proclaiming the gospel, the, the, the good news, and the letter of the law, according to their understanding in, in the Old Testament. They called Paul and Barnabas back. Come on back, we've got to talk. We've got to work this out because you're out there doing stuff and we're not really sure what you're doing. We've got to check in on you again. So come on back, Paul. So it says in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, certain people, oh, I don't have it. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Some people were teaching that. Some people were teaching that. Paul and Barnabas were not. If you're here today and you're thinking about joining the church, I praise God for that. I just want to tell you up front that, that we will have some things that you're going to have to do to join the church. We're going to have some, some processes you're going to have to go through. You're going to have some questions you're going to have to answer. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to do to be a member of the church. You're, we're not just going to say, hey, you might want to join. Just come on up here and let's do it right now. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to take it a little slow. But one thing I promise you, I'm not going to ask you to have surgery. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to have surgery before you can be a member of the church. I'm not going to do that. That's just, maybe that puts some of you at ease. Because uh, while it might be funny to us, to Paul it wasn't a joke. To Paul it was no joke at all. So Paul and Barnabas, they go back to Jerusalem. They're, they're welcomed back. And they begin to tell of all the things that have been happening as they've been traveling around the Gentile world. And then in verse 5 of chapter 15. Verse 5 says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Who are we talking about here? I mean, the fact of the matter is, some people never change, it seems like. These Pharisees were, you remember the Pharisees who were a kind of a thorn to Jesus' side? They were always giving Jesus problems. Well, some of those folks, right? Were witnessed the resurrection and they were convinced by it. And so they became Christians. And yet they were still part of the Pharisees. They were still part of that group, that, that sect, that, that, that group of people who were the legalists, for lack of a better term. I mean, their hearts, I mean, their, their relationship with God had changed for sure because they were convinced of the resurrection. But there was part of them that just wanted to be a legalist. And so, some of us struggle with being legalists at some times. I do. That's my rule, anyway. So anyway, for them, the point was that in order to become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. You had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. Circumcision. You had to be part of the covenant before the covenant really applied to you. But you, know, you kind of make sense, you think, think it through. Okay, I kind of see where they were coming from. But, but for them, the Messiah, Jesus, only came for Jews. For Jews. That would leave us out, by the way. So they talked and debated back and forth. And then Peter stood up in verse 7. Verse 7 reads, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter said, you remember, just it wasn't that long ago where God called me to go and preach to the Gentiles. You may remember the story where, where Peter was, he, God called him and he was like, no, Lord, I can't go to those Gentiles. And, and God had, gave him a dream of, of a sheep low, being lowered down and it had all these different kind of animals in it. 
and, and God explained to him in the dream that, that anything I created is good. Like you can go and fellowship with them. You can go and eat with those people. Because I'm at work in this. I, I created what they eat and it's good. And I created what you eat and it's good. Anyway, verse 8. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He said, you remember that the Holy Spirit fell on those folks? Just like Paul is describing how the Holy Spirit fell on the people he's been preaching to. That God gave it his own seal of approval. Don't doubt it. God said, I'm at work here. God declared it by showing up. Verse 9. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. God did something in them that none of us deny. Don't deny it. And then verse 10. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Get what he's saying here. He's saying, God showed up there. Now why in the world would you go and give them the same bunch of laws that we couldn't follow? Why would you tell them that they got to follow them when we couldn't do it either? You say, that, that 613 laws? You know we couldn't do it. That was the whole point of the laws, to show that in your own strength, in your own power, in your own flesh, you cannot be holy. We know this in this room, don't we? We know that, uh, get down to the root of it, there's me, right? Like, I'm, I'm a little selfish. Bought my wife some ice cream, some of that Tilla Hook ice cream, and, and she said, oh, you got that for me? And I was like, yeah, babe, I got that for you. Uh, <laughs> in my heart of hearts, I knew that I got it for me because she was going to bed early. <laughs> right? I know that if you get down to the root of me, there's me. Yeah. Right? I understand that. And you wouldn't know that about you, too. That I'm going to want to be generous. I'm going to want to be all the good things that God wants. But if it's just left to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. He says, he says, these 613 laws that we haven't been able to fulfill... They're not going to be able to do it either. So why would you put it on? Why would you do that to them? He says in verse 11, No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved, just as they are. He said, no, 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 it's grace at work in us that saves us. It's not my goodness. It's his faithfulness. It's his grace. John, later on, would say in John, uh, 1 John 2, 2, he said, he himself, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. That's what, that's what Peter's getting at here. He's like, Jesus came for everybody. Not just, not just us, but the whole world. That's what that verse in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he came. So loved the whole world. The whole world. This left them silenced. This left them silenced. Then Paul and Barnabas, they stand up and they start teaching, right? They start proclaiming, again, what, what, how all the ways that God showed up in the ministry. And, and they go on and on for a little while. And then finally, James, James, who happens to be the brother of Jesus, he stands up and he says, okay, enough of this. I'm paraphrasing. He stands up and he says, okay. Enough of this. Let me, let's just get down to brass tacks here. Right? And then he starts out by quoting the prophet Amos in verse 15. If you follow along, he says this. After this, he's quoting Amos, who's re recorded the words of God. 
He says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild. I think I might have this here. Nope, I don't. I thought I did. Anyway. <clears throat> after this, I'll return and rebuild David's tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. This is God's view. The, then the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. Things known from a long ago. See, what I love about James is that he doesn't just say, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, let me tell you all what he really meant. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, remember what we've always believed? He pulls out God's word. And he says, we've always believed that this time the Gentiles would come. He's pointing back to the very things that they profess to believe. He's reminding them, like, like this is what we've always been about, that everyone, that, that Jesus, that God so loved the world that all might know. You see, this is good news. This is good news for me and you, because up until this point in history, right, Jesus wasn't for us. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't ours to participate in. But now, but now it's being understood that the work of the Messiah would include salvation for all people, including the Gentiles, including us. Including us. We become a part of the conversation, finally. Right here in Jerusalem, Jesus, the Son, and His purpose was finally understood to include all of us. The whole world. And what are the implications for that? Well, let me just say this, that if, if for God so loved the world is true, then it means that everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone's invited. Everyone is within God's reach. Everyone. And if God is drawing them close, if God is seeking to draw them close, then he can draw them through here. James, he continues in verse 19, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, he says, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted to idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, all throughout the Roman world, right, all throughout the Roman world at this time, idol worship is is the thing, right? They worship, they have gods for all kinds of stuff. And, and part of that would be their temple practices. How they, how they worshipped in their temples would, also, would include these practices. Food sacrificed to their idols, the, the drinking blood of animals, the, the sexual practices that would, that would be, all these things would be abhorrent to, to any faithful Jew and be abhorrent to anyone to, of morals, right? James says, James says, from this point forward, let's, let's, let's set our minds about making it easy. Making it easy for people to become Christians, for you Gentiles. He says, you want to follow Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? Then stop your idol worship. Let's just start there. He says, we're going to simplify it for you. Instead of giving you 613 laws, instead of loading you down with all these requirements and steps and processes that you've got to go through, instead of putting all that on you that we had to grow, we grew up under, all these things that, that we understood that this was how you live into that covenant relationship with God, so we're just going to boil it all down and make it really simple. If you want to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. Turn from the other stuff 
and follow him. Let's make it simple. Now, granted, these, these practices they were doing, the, the, the food sacrificed idols, the food, the, the, the drinking the blood and all that stuff, the, the, the sexual immorality stuff, all those things were, yeah, they were, they were sins against God, right? Food sacrificed to an idol, that would be a sin against God. The, the sexual immorality stuff, that would be sins against yourself, as, as is described in the New Testament. Then, then there would be the, the, the sins against the body, right? Because if, if my brother or my sister find that offensive and I'm going to do it right in their face, then, then I'm sinning against them. So he said, stop doing all that stuff. Turn and follow me. Just stop doing the basics. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus. Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus. I'll say it again, because some of you may not hear this. Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus. People ask me all the time, Pastor, if I were going to become a Christian, would I have to stop doing filling the blank? You know, like everybody has different things, right? And so, so they'll put it out there. Do I have to stop doing this to be, be a Christian? And my answer is very similar to every single person I speak to. Because of, because of how I found, what I found to be true in my own life. Is that when you start following Jesus, your life changes. Your life changes. Do you have to stop doing whatever to, follow, to be a Christian? No. Yes. I don't know. Because all I can tell you is when you, when you do follow him, he's going to change the desires of your heart. He's going to change the desires of your heart. Over time, things do change. Now, we may still wrestle with stuff. Things that have been, been a hang-up for us for years and years and years. We may struggle with it. We may wrestle with it. We may get frustrated and, and doubt our own salvation because, because we still wrestle with that same thing that I've been dealing with for so long. But I want to tell you that as you follow Jesus, your heart changes. For everybody. For everybody. Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue fleshing out three statements that I, I read in an article, or I don't know where I got it, years and years and years ago, that I found to be very true in my life, that, that I've put them in our program every week, I, I put them on our website, I put, them, I put them all over the place, I write them down for myself all the time, and they, they really have become kind of uh, leading words for my personal ministry, right, for me personally. And that I encourage us to, all to adopt in our, in our life of faith, that they're simple. Everyone is welcome. No one is perfect, and anything's possible. Everyone's welcome, no one's perfect, and anything is possible. We're going to flesh those out over the next three weeks. Today is, is everyone's welcome, because everyone is welcome. And as we follow him, as we follow him, he, he redirects the desires of our heart. He reshapes us. I promise you it works. The question we have to answer is, can, will I follow him? It's where that whole, where Jesus talks about that, dying to yourself, crucifying your flesh, all of that comes in. Are we willing to do that? That's maybe a bigger question. But if you just are willing to start following, he'll take care of everything. Because he's God. He's God. He'll work it out. Promise. John 2.2, I read it a moment ago. 
He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the whole world. Now, some, some of us grew up in faith traditions where, uh, I, I've shared before, I'm kind of a uh, spiritual mutt in the regards that, that I grew up in a lot of faith traditions. Like I, I went to Baptist church, I went to Church of Christ, I went to Methodist church, I went to Pentecostal church, I, I kind of went to a whole bunch of different ones, right? And so all of these have kind of shaped me and kind of given me a perspective, right? And wherever you came from has given you perspective. John and I talk often that like his faith background has shaped what he believes and how he sees the world. And, and that's, that's how all of us are, right? That's how all of us are. That, that's, we, are that we are who we are. Some faith traditions teach that, that Jesus only came for a select group, right? I don't know if that's where you came, where you are. I'm not even going to, we, we, we hash, hash it out on Monday nights about who's in that group, right? Like, but I'll just say this, Jesus came, I believe, for everyone. That he died that all might live. That he wants all to have new life. All. Who's going to say yes to it? I don't know. But he doesn't want, he, he wants for your neighbor, the cantankerous one. <laughs> he, wants it, he wants it for your hellion grandchild. He wants it for your spouse. He wants it, he wants a new life for all of them. He, he wants a new life for us. God does. And so Jesus came for all of them, for all of us. We have to be the church that decides to make it easy for people to find him. To make it easy for people to find him so they might follow and be changed. Just like some of you have been. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins of the whole world. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Not, not just church folk. He didn't come to seek and save church folk. He came to seek and save the lost. For everyone, not, not, not the right people, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Those, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. One God for all men. Everyone's welcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came for us. We ask you, Lord, that you would impress upon our hearts, impress upon our minds, impress upon our, our souls, God, an understanding of just how much you love us. Because, God, it's, it's in your grace. It's in your grace at work in our lives that we, that we understand your love, that we experience your love, that we experience transformation. I ask you, God, now, as we gather here in this place to, to share in Holy Communion with your Spirit, you meet us here. We love you, Lord. Amen. 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 So I'm going to ask you to do something different today. If you have a hymnal near you, some of you may not need one, but uh, some of you might. Um, we have the liturgy here in just a second, but before we do that, uh, I thought of this late so that's why it's not on the screen. But you should have a hymnal. Page 7 in your hymnal. <clears throat> I'm going to invite you just to, to read the Apostles' Creed with me. And uh, as a prelude to our sharing of Holy Communion. All right? So after page 7, we will move 
to the responses and the liturgy that's on the screen here today. If you join me, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth.